think somebody was barking over there. Hey, if you didn't figure it out, Roots is dismissed, but we're going to do Alpha in the fall uh, church-wide. And here's the vision. Uh, and I know when I say this, people on staff um, cringe because it means a lot, but I really think we can have 500 guests uh, coming to Alpha alongside of us as the family of grace. And I believe if we have 500 guests that we'll see well over 100 people come to Christ through this program. Um, but that's not going to happen unless every one of you get involved and invite your friends. So here's my encouragement to you. Start praying now. God, who do you want me to invite? Who, do you, who, who in my neighborhood, who at work, who in my family do you want me to bring to Alpha? And where do you want me to participate? Because we're going to have Alpha courses here at the church. We're going to have Alpha courses in, in what we're calling third space locations, maybe at Fishbones if we can close the deal with them, or at Atwater Brewery or somewhere like that. Or you can do it in your home. And so you, you start praying now, who do you want me to bring? And, and maybe it's a whole group of people that you've been interacting with. And you said, hey, would you like to do this with us? It's an amazing program. It's a, it's a safe way to explore your faith. It's a safe way to ask some questions. So it's going to be church-wide. And, and here's the other part I want to tell you. This is not just for those people who are trying to figure it out. The people that have gone through Alpha, that have been walking with Jesus for a long time, all say the same thing. I needed that. I needed to be reminded of the basics of my own faith, of, of who God is, who Jesus is, how do we approach the word. So, so I guarantee you, if you commit to doing it, it's going to be for you as well as for your friends that you invite. So, so imagine 500 guests, 500 friends who are trying to figure out their faith, coming alongside us and doing this in the fall. So we're going to talk about it a lot between now and then. We're going to cast vision to it, but I really am encouraging you to pray about it. And the other thing you should be praying about is, would you like to host? Would you like to open your home? Would you like to be one of the people in those third, third space locations? Would you like to host a table here? If you do, there's a card. I think we call it a connection card in your bulletin. You can fill that out and you can say, I'd love to host. I'd love to pray about hosting. I'd like more information about hosting. But imagine, just do the math. If we're going to really have 500 guests, uh, this is an all hands on deck. Um, let's take the gospel to this community and let's see God do some amazing things. All right? Amen. All right, another announcement before I jump into this. Um, in September, uh, we have what we call the fun run. Um, I don't know if you run. How many of you think it's fun? Um, I run sometimes. It's never fun for me. Necessary, but not fun. But, but we have this incredible opportunity to partner with Eagle Sports and with SOAR and teaching every willing third grader on Detroit's east side to read at or above grade level. It's been an amazing program for the church, amazing program for the community. And one of the primary ways we fund that is through this run every September. So in your bulletin is a card, and here's the deal, you don't have to run. It's a 5K or a 10K, you can walk. 5K is just over three miles, it's, it's not a lot. But um, if you sign up for the race, and then you go and find sponsors for it, uh, we have a $25,000 gift from the UAW Ford uh, that's willing to match the first $25,000 we raise. So just imagine uh, the, the good work we can do with that $50,000 plus in helping teaching every willing third grader read at grade level. So now's the time to be signing up for that, getting the momentum going. I just think it's an amazing thing when we show up with literally hundreds of people from Grace at that race, and we, we walk, we run. It's just great community building. So love for you to be a part of that. So before I move into the message, I want to say, Meg Kempton, happy anniversary. 
29 years today. Uh, quite an accomplishment if you were there for the first few. <laughs> you would know it's a miracle. Uh, but we have a great, great marriage, and it's truly because of God. I love you. So happy anniversary. So as that guy said in the video, don't tell anybody I was crying. All right. So we're going to start this series that we're calling Proof. And really my hope in this series is just to invite you into some of what I experienced, some of what we experienced while we were in Israel. Uh, it really is uh, a, holy, a holy land. Um, I, I didn't expect it to have the impact that it had on me to be there. Um, it's really a, an amazing place. One of the days that we had um, while we were, were, were there was we stood atop a hill, and um, there's a slide that's going to come up that kind of shows the view. I hope the slide's going to come up. There it is. This is the view from atop of that hill, and if you look down into that valley, what you're looking there at there is what's called the Ela Valley, E-L-A-H. And uh, on one side of that valley is the place where the Israelites were encamped. And right across, the, the, you can see the, the agricultural field below, that was the valley. And on the other side uh, was a Philistine camp. And this is the very place where uh, that giant Goliath would walk down into that flat plain and he would taunt the Israelites, right? He would, he would taunt them and he would make fun of them, literally. And, and along came a little shepherd boy, you guys all know the story. And, and, and in the middle of that valley is a stream. And he went down to the stream and he collected five sm uh, smooth stones and he beat Goliath, right? We all heard that story. We all know that story. But there's something pretty profound about standing in that place and looking into that valley and, and realizing that, that what we learn as little kids in Sunday school, what we learn as we go through school, they're not just stories. They really happen, and they happen in real places like the Elah Valley. And it's just, it's inspiring to stand there and to, to realize this is the place. This is where David walked. This is where David slew Goliath. It's, it's an amazing uh, opportunity. If you ever have the opportunity to go to the Holy Land, um, you need to do it. It's, it the pilgrimage is, is something special. I didn't know I was going to be this emotional coming back. Sorry, guys. <sighs> we won't tell nobody. Thank you. So here's the deal. Uh, I went to Israel uh, as part of school, so I took uh, three weeks of Old Testament geography and history. It was almost all in the field study. We would travel to places like this, and and we'd have lecture up on top of the hill, and then we'd go explore a little bit. Um, the, the beauty of this trip was that Meg and Jake got to be there for the whole time, so they came with me. I think I have a picture of them as well. Um, so uh, they are, if you look behind them, that is the uh, western wall right behind them. So we were there for five weeks, and then we also had a chance for Casey to fly over from China, and she was there for three weeks. And um, it made the trip just so much more <laughs> exciting for me to be able to share it with them. So sometimes they were with us, with the class. The class was generous enough to let them jump on the bus sometimes if they wanted to, but they didn't have to. Sometimes they were just, uh, Meg would call it freestyle and in Israel doing what they wanted to do. Um, but it was great to have them there. It was just a, it was a, an awesome trip. And I haven't looked at my notes enough to have any idea what I'm supposed to be saying right now. So give me a second. I had a dream last night that I forgot how to preach. <laughs> it's, it's not a very settling thing. I just want you to know. So here's the deal. There, there is a theme uh, for me that ran through the entire trip. And the theme was that, that God has this desire to bless us. That God has this, this, this inerrant desire as our Abba Father to pour out his blessing 
on us. In the same way that I so desire to bless my kids, I so desire to bless the people I love, God desires to bless us. But what I saw is that we as people have this consistent and constant ability to sabotage God's desire. Right? God wants us to bless us, but somehow we get in the way. So think about, the, think about that's, that's really the story of man. Think about Adam and Eve, right? So God places them in this perfect place where they could have perfect peace with God and perfect peace with the land and perfect peace with one another. Which, why does he do that? He's, he's blessing them, right? But then sin happens and they sabotage that desire of God. And, and lest we be critical of Adam and Eve, the truth is that's our own story. God places us in, in places and in situations with the desire to bless us, and, and we somehow mess that up. We get in the way of the good gifts that God has for us. And so what I w- would encourage us to slow down a little bit and to recognize the invitation that God has for us to receive his blessing, the invitation that exists for us to have peace in our lives. So the trip to Israel was fantastic. It was fantastic. I I didn't realize how much I would love Israel. Um, It truly is a special place. Um, But there's another side of Israel uh, that I want to talk about, uh, and I want to be careful to honor what an amazing and and special place it is. But there's a side of Israel that left me uh, feeling really sad. You see, the one thing you can't miss if you spend time in Jerusalem is there are all kinds of religious people. It is a city filled with religion. There are people who follow Yahweh, called Jews. There are people that follow Jesus, called Christians. There's people that follow Allah, called Muslims. There's people who follow John the Baptist. I don't know what they call them. There's people who follow Jethro. You guys know who Jethro is? The, not Jethro, the guy from the Beverly Hillbillies, a different Jethro. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. There's a whole group of people. That's their religion. They follow Jethro, but there's, there's all these kinds of religions. But within each one of these different groups of religions, there's also different sects. Different, they, they dress differently. They, they worship differently within each one, and they, they all think they have corner on the, on the truth within their own religions, and they're, they're, they're fighting against each other, and they're fighting against these other groups. And so there's, there's all this religion that exists in, in this place, and, and yet at the core of it, there's this lack of peace that rests in Jerusalem. One of my favorite places to visit, and the picture's going to come up here, is, the, is to be on the Mount of Olives. We went there one of the very first days, and I, we were close enough that we could go back on our own, so I would go there often, and that's a view from the top of the Mount of Olives looking down across the Kidron Valley, and what you see there in the middle is actually a, a mosque that's over the Dome of the Rock. It's called the Dome of the Rock. It's a, a holy place for the Muslims. But I loved going there, and I loved being there because this was a place that Jesus spent time. Sometimes we forget that Jesus didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived in the Galilee area, and he would come to Jerusalem often for the feasts and the festivals. And when he would come, he would stay somewhere in this area, uh, on or, or on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And we see lots of different texts where Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. And, and when you're there, you can really look down on the old city. You can see all of the city in front of you. And for me, it just was a beautiful thing to sit in the area where Jesus sat and to look at the the city that Jesus looked at 2,000 years ago. It was just a special place uh, for me, and it it is just a special place. So grab your Bibles, turn to Luke 19, Luke 19, verses 41 through 44. As always, I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles. Uh, You can take notes. If you're writing things down, you're going to remember things more. 
Um, but we want to encourage you to do that. And before we read it, I just kind of want to set up the text. And the Mount of Olives is a part of this text, which is why I show this picture. Jesus has just traveled the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. He's making what we know is the triumphal entry into the city, getting ready to celebrate the Passover feast and, and lay down his life for you and me. And, and in this particular passage, he's just crest the top of the hill, the, the Mount of Olives, and he can see the entire city before him. The, it would have been the old city, then it would have been the city. And he can look down and, and see Jerusalem. And that's where we see these words, Luke 19, 41 through 44. It says, as he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build embankments against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side they will dash you to the ground you and your children within your walls they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you let me pray real quick Lord I pray that you would settle my spirit you would allow me to teach what you want me to teach but I pray that you would draw us into the word of God that your spirit would minister to us as we, as we just explore the peace that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus writes these words. He says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. I know I said it before, but, but what I want you to hold on to is that God desires to give us peace. But it's our actions or maybe it's our lack of actions it's our responses or maybe our lack of responses that determine whether or not we actually receive the peace that God has for us but Jesus is saying if you'd only known what would bring you peace but they didn't know and and so what Jesus does is he prophesies over the city that that bad things are going to come. Because you didn't know, destruction is coming. Your enemy is going to move in. And what we know from history in 70 AD, 40 years after Jesus says this, that's exactly what happened. One of the things that I found fascinating is that the most of what we know of the city when, when Jesus was there, a lot of it was built by King Herod. And King Herod kind of had a, a signature way of building. If you've ever been there and, and, and done a tour, they'll keep pointing out, this is, this is Herodian, this is Herodian. And he would build in such a way that it was, it was, it was his signature. You would just know it, right? And so, so one of the things that, that is amazing to me is we would see remnants of the things that, that Herod built. And one of the things he did was he, he built up what's called the Temple Mount, this big 65-acre platform where the temple itself was built. But the Temple Mount is nothing more than building a flat area where they could build the temple. And so when you're there now, you see remnants of, of Herodian stone, of, of stones that, that, that Herod put together, these, these amazing structures, right? But the more they dig and the more they search and the more they look, they found zero, no evidence of the second temple, the actual temple that was resting on the mount. They have, they have parts of the city, they have remnants of the city, they have remnants of the wall of the, the mount, but the, but the temple itself is missing. Archaeologists would love to find it. Wouldn't that be just like the Holy Grail? They would find that thing. Everybody would want to see a, a piece of the second temple, but they, they haven't found it. Mark 13, 
As Jesus is leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, look what these massive stones, look at this magnificent building. He's talking about that very temple that I'm talking about, the temple that, that Herod built, right? And it's, it's an amazing temple. They say it actually was, was much grander than Solomon's temple. And we read all about Solomon's temple and how grand that was. So, so they're looking at that temple and they're, they're amazed and, and they're, they're just, they're in wonder. And Jesus says to them, do you see all of these great buildings not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. There's a spot along the western wall of the Temple Mount, that area that was built up for the city, where you can actually see in the background there that pile of, of square stones. You see the two people standing beside it, so you can get a feel for how big the stones are. Those are stones still in the exact same spot of where they were when the Romans rolled in in 70 A.D., and and, and overtook the city and pushed them off of the Temple Mount. And you can see that's actually a street where the stones landed and it crushed the street and, and, and knocked it down. There was an arch right there that was knocked down. None of that's from the Temple. It's all from the, the Temple Mount. But what we see there is just the, the pile of rubble, the, the prophecy that Jesus made that come true. If they'd only known what would bring them peace, but they didn't, and destruction comes and pain comes, I find it intriguing but Jesus says, if you'd only known what would bring you peace. While we were touring the city on the very first day, as a matter of fact, we got there a day before the classes and we decided to do a tour, not as part of the class, just to get our bearings, if you will. And uh, the tour guide said uh, that Jerusalem is the most conquered city in the world. It has been overthrown and conquered 35 times. Now, I didn't go and research whether it's actually 35 times, but, but I believe him. It is the most fought over city in the world. And I think it's amazing to think about God's economy, right? Think about God's redemptive work. God has this amazing ability to take what is most broken and make it most righteous. This is the place where Jesus is going to establish his throne, where peace will reign throughout the world in the most broken city, the city where there's just piles of rubble, the city that is fought over is the very place where Jesus will establish his throne. And I just found that to be so intriguing that the, in the world's economy, this is not a place of peace, but in God's economy, he will come, he will restore, he will redeem Jerusalem. That's good news. We should clap for that. So one of the other things that jumped out to me as we traveled and as we went into shops was the greeting. Any of you have been to Israel? Do you know what the greeting is? You walk into somebody's shop, what do they say, Phil? Shalom. All right, everywhere you go. You, you missed it, Phil. I'll, come to the second service. I'll cue you again. You can jump right in. Shalom, right? And shalom means peace. This is their greeting. But here we are in a place where, where peace is pretty hard to find. And, and, and this word shalom, it's, it's just it's so thematic throughout the scriptures. And it's so intriguing to me that they want it. They desire it. They, they express it to one another. But there's so little of it in Jerusalem. And here's Jesus saying, if you'd only known what would bring you the same word, shalom. What would bring you shalom? Shalom is this all-inclusive sort of peace. It's, it's, it's more than, than having everything perfect around you. As a matter of fact, you can have shalom and still have conflict in your life. As a matter of fact, you will have conflict in your life. So you have to figure out how to have shalom in spite of the conflict around you. So it's not about this absence of conflict. It's something deeper. It's something more. It's this, this inner peace. But it also spills out, and, and it's kind of 
kind of this amazing thing. It brings peace to our homes. It brings peace to our workplaces. What, what's happening in us spills out into other places. So what I saw when I traveled around Jerusalem especially is missed opportunity, missed blessing, missed peace, missed shalom. And God used that to sort of get me to stop and reflect on my own life and help me to realize that that's kind of my own story too, that I've missed out on much of what God has for me as well. We all have opportunity to experience peace, to experience shalom. But the question that we got to wrestle with, and I want to unpack today, is what gets in the way? What gets in the way from us having shalom? So I want to answer one question first. Do we really have opportunity to have shalom? Is it really uh, something that's offered to us in a broken world? Well, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that you may have peace, shalom. In this world, you're going to have troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He also said in John 14, the peace I leave you, peace I leave you with, the peace I give you, it's, it's not like the world gives. So don't let your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. What's he saying? He's saying, I've given you peace. I've, I've offered you this shalom to you. It's, it's yours for the taking. I've already overcome the world. So whenever the world situations are, are pressing in on you, you have an opportunity to still have peace. As a matter of fact, I've given you so much peace, you don't have to be anxious and you don't have to be afraid. So, so this is for all of us. And so the obvious question is, how many of us could use more shalom, could use more peace in our lives? I would think that all of us would raise our hands to that question. But what gets in the way? What is it that gets in the way and, 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 and interferes with this ability to have peace? What I discovered along the way, and part of it was some of the things that were, were taught while I was there, and some of it was just observation and, and, and just a way that God used um, the trip for me to think about it, is, is that there are, there are kind of three different common responses to difficulties. That when we have conflict in our lives, when there are things that we don't necessarily agree with, when we have pressures in our lives, when people disagree with us, when, when all, there's all different reasons why we, would, why we would respond in these different ways. But, but there's three different ways. And what I discovered is that those three different responses are sort of characterized in the different religious sects of Jesus' day, the different religious groups. And so as a way of teaching... I'm going to talk about the Sadducees and the Pharisees and, and those, and I'm going to talk about these different response mechanisms. And what I'd like you to do is, is listen to how they responded, but at the same time, ask yourself the question, is this how I respond when things are difficult? Is this how I respond when people don't agree with me? Is this how I respond when there's pressures of the world trying to pull me in a direction that I know that I shouldn't necessarily go? In order to make sense of that, I know I'm, I'm kind of jumping around here a little bit, but stay with me. I need to kind of set the political and the religious landscape of the days of Jesus. We've talked about King Herod a little bit, but King Herod was, was named king by Rome. And, and make no mistake, even though he built that second temple, he also built temples to the Greek gods. and Whatever god he could think of, he built temples to them, and he built temples to Caesar himself. He was building temples all over the place, and, and, and he just did what he did in Jerusalem more as a, as a statement to himself. He wanted to build something more grand and, and bring attention to himself. So I, I don't think he was motivated by by some kind of God-given blessing to build that temple. He was just building temples all over the place. So, so he's the king, right? And, and, and before, even before Herod, there was this, this, this movement of, of Hellenism. So Hellenism is a way of thinking. It's a Greek way of thinking. So we, we speak Greek, we think Greek, and we worship like the Greeks. And, 
and Caesar and, and all of that was a part of this Hellenistic movement that's moving into, the, into Israel and moving into the people. And, and so what they would do, which I find fascinating, is they would go to ancient cities, biblical cities, and then they would build a modern city right beside the ancient city. These modern cities were called polis cities. Think about that for a minute. We have words like Minneapolis or Annapolis. That's where we get that word, polis. And these polis cities were more modern. They had better streets. They had better drainage for sewage. They had uh, aqueducts and water coming into them. The, the buildings were newer. They were modern, convenient cities. But in the middle of all these cities would be a temple, a temple to a, a Greek god or a Roman god, a, a temple to something else. And they would use these cities as a way of attracting people out of the ancient cities into their cities and a way of enculturating them into this Hellenistic way of thinking. So what I want you to hear and to see is that, that the Jewish way of life was under attack. That there was a desire to pull them away from their values, to pull away from their core beliefs, and get them to follow the ways of society. Sound somewhat familiar to you? Some of what we deal with in our own culture is as America goes in one direction, we try to stay true to Christian values, it becomes difficult. Well, there's a similar thing going on in the days prior to Jesus coming. So one of the ways that, that people uh, step into that chaos is they form their own little groups to respond in different ways to this pressure of becoming Hellenistic. Make sense? So that's kind of the landscape. So the first group of people, uh, I would say their, their way of responding to conflict is they did something that I would call accommodation. Accommodation. This means they capitulated, they, they folded. In order to avoid conflict, they just went with the flow. They wanted to keep the peace. In the New Testament time, when we see Jesus walking around, there's, there's a group of people called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees would be the best group to describe it. They were, they were much more in line with the government powers of the day. They were willing to compromise on some of the Jewish traditions in order to be accepted by the powers that be. They were willing to bend and think differently. They were willing to accommodate the culture in order to be in power. Sometimes we're not willing to stand up for ourselves because we believe it's just easier to let it just happen. It's going to happen anyway. Just get it over with. We respond with accommodation. But what I want you to hear is that accommodation doesn't produce shalom peace. It isn't the path to having peace in your life. So we think, if I just accommodate, oh, then, then I'm going to have peace. But it doesn't work. So the, the first kind of response pattern that we could, we could wrestle with is, is, do we accommodate? The second one is confrontation. And there's two groups of people that we see in the scriptures and in the, in the history of the Jewish people that fit this, and that would be the Pharisees and the Zealots. What we know about the Zealots is probably most characterized by the, the Maccabeans between the Old Testament and the New Testament, a family group that became the rulers of, of the Jewish people. But they did it with, with violence. They did it with war. And what we know from the history is, is that zealots were even willing to kill other Jews who had practiced accommodation. If you are really doing it the way we say you to do it, then you're not really a Jew. You're, you're, you're tainted, and they would, they would kill in order to make their story happen. And then you, you look at the Pharisees. And how did the Pharisees use this, this confrontation, right? They would use religious pressure, and they would have stonings, and they would do whatever they had to do. It was, a, it was an in-your-face, you're going to do it our way. And, and think about it. This is really what we face with ISIS. It's, it's transformation by confrontation. It's not really transformation at all, but it's intimidation. It's religious intimidation. You're going to do what I want you to do. And, and the, the question is, 
Is this part of how you respond when, you're in, when you have conflict, when people don't agree with you, when you have differences of opinion, when, when the view of society is different than your view? Is your way of responding to that one of accommodation where you just bend and you fold, or is it confrontation where you're going to power up? And, and i got to tell you, I'm guilty of this one a lot. I have a good friend who tells me all the time, you don't understand your own power. I get worked up, and all of a sudden, I'm up, sitting up straighter, and I'm using all the words, and I'm talking faster, and the person across is shrinking because I'm overpowering them. That's confrontation. And I'm doing that because I just want to have peace. Can't I just have peace in my life? So I'm going to win. I'm going to get this argument over. Whatever it is, I just want peace. I want shalom. And if you just agree with me, and whatever I have to do, I'm going to get it, then I'm going to have shalom, right? Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Accommodation, confrontation. And the last one is isolation. Isolation. How many of you have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Dead Sea Scrolls, there was this, this finding, I think it was in the 40s, I'm not even sure when they found them. Um, just this, this large group of biblical texts and extra biblical texts. Some of the oldest scriptures that we have came out of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in a group of caves. I have a picture of one of the caves, I think, coming up. Any second, there it is. That is Cave 4. A lot of the the, the scrolls were found in a cave forward, but, but the, this is the deal. There was a group of men uh, who kind of left the city and went to the desert to be alone, to get away from the pressures of Hellenism, the pressures of the, the world changing. They wanted to retain their faith. So they became, and I guess the word we would use is almost like monks. There was in Qumran, the ancient city of Qumran, they just became this group of men who isolated themselves as a way of preserving their own peace, a way of preserving their religion. And part of what they would do during their day is they would write out biblical texts. They would write out extra biblical texts. They were writing out scriptures. And, and those are the scrolls that we later found. But their, their purpose of isolation was to try to keep, but, but the truth is that didn't work either. You can hide from the problems that you have. You can run. You can find a, a place. And, and the truth is, that doesn't bring peace either. So confrontation doesn't work, and isolation doesn't work, and accommodation doesn't work. So the, the question is, what does? What is it that actually brings us peace? And, and remember what Jesus says, if you'd only known what would bring you peace, what is it that actually causes us to have shalom? Well, the truth of the matter is, if we want to have peace, we got to look back and see, well, what did Jesus do? What's our mission statement here at Grace? It's been a long time since I've asked you that because I haven't been here, right? We are? Yeah. We are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. And Jesus was an ambassador of peace. Jesus came to give us peace. And then he said, I'm giving you peace so that you can be ambassadors of peace. God actually desires for us to bring peace to our communities, to bring peace to our—even when our government isn't doing what we think our government should do. You know what we're commanded to do? Bring peace to our country. We are to be ambassadors of peace. And the only way to be ambassadors of peace is to receive the peace that God has for us. And here's the deal. The only way to have peace is to understand and to be rooted in this deep knowledge of how much God loves you. It all comes down to the, the very basic knowledge that, that God loves me, that God is my Abba Father, 
Nothing escapes God's view. Sometimes we think God isn't paying attention. Don't you see what's happening to me, God? Don't you know how hard things are for me? And if we understood how much God loves us, if we trusted in the sovereignty of God, that whatever God takes you through is for a reason and a purpose, that God's ways are bigger than your ways, that understanding of God's love and God's sovereignty create in us this inner sense of, of peace. I can move through this because God is with me, because God loves me. Nothing escapes God's view. So what does it look like when we have this, this centered sort of understanding of God's love, when we know who God is? What does it look like to respond the way God responds? Well, what does it look like to respond in the Spirit? It looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, it all comes back to the passage we read in Luke 19. If you'd only known what would bring you peace. You cannot have shalom. You cannot have peace in your life if you are looking to the outside world to make it happen. It is only accomplished through the work of Jesus on the cross in your life. Jesus literally is our shalom. The problem is we think if only my wife would, I, then I would have peace. Boy, if only my husband would, then I would have peace. If my kids would just stop, then I would have peace. If my friends would, my boss would. We have all these different things that we're looking to, trying to hope that they change so that we could have some sense of peace. And the problem with that kind of thinking is if we don't realize, we don't see that the only opportunity we have for peace is found in Jesus. There is something that happens that is transactional, that God infuses his peace into us when we turn towards him. The outside forces aren't going to get it done. We cannot be ambassadors of peace. We cannot be ambassadors of shalom unless we receive what God has for us, unless we receive the peace that Jesus has. There's a passage in Philippians, Philippians 4, 5, where Paul writes these words. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. I should have that one tattooed on my forehead. Well, I wouldn't see it there. I should bind it to my arms and on my forehead like the guys in Jerusalem. But the point is, is I don't live this one out very well. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do you see the connection? Do you see the connection? The Lord is near. I know who God is. I know what God has done in my life. I know that God is sovereign. I know that God loves me. And because God is near to me, then whatever the, the things are going on in my life, I can still be gentle in my response. I can be an ambassador of peace. I want to read that passage to you in context because it's pretty profound. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the shalom of God will transcend all understanding and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The shalom of God, the peace of God, will transcend outside circumstances. It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus. How awesome is that? That's the promise we have in Scripture. And, and in this verse, I'm not a formula sort of guy, but Paul's kind of writing a formula, and the formula is this. Rejoice. Rejoice. Give thanks to God. He loves you beyond your wildest imagine. Sing praises to God, as my friend Norflet taught me. 
It's not whether or not I can sing. It's whether or not I have a song in my spirit. Have a song. Be, be a worshiper of God. Trust him. Be gentle in your responses. And pray. I love it that you just came through this series on prayers. Pray. Offer your request to God. And he says, a shalom of God will transcend all of your circumstances. And then you can be an ambassador of shalom. I love the fact that today is communion. I love the fact that we get a chance to, to break bread together and drink the cup together. Because it's a reminder of the peace that Jesus came to give. As he crested that hill coming over the Mount of Olives and he wept over the city, he still went. He still went into the city. He still sacrificed his life. He still went to the cross for you and I. And he did that so that we could have peace. So if the ushers would like to come down, the servers, we're going to pass out the communion. Here's what I'd like. I'd love for you just to take the communion, hold the elements, and uh, sing with us as we sing, rejoice in the Lord. And then once we get the elements, then I'm going to come back up and we'll take them together. Jesus at the center of it all Jesus at the center of 